picked up a handout on your way in. You know we're on study of Noah. You've been coming on Sunday nights. You know we've been studying faith walkers. This is our actually our second year of faith walkers. We did the first one back in 2006 and decided there were so many faith walkers we hadn't covered that we'd try it again this year. So uh, we pretty well caught up on the ones in Hebrews 11. There's a, a few more and uh, of course, there's plenty of other faith walkers in the Bible that we haven't gotten to, so we might have another year sometime down the road. But uh, tonight we're finishing up Noah. Spent four weeks on Noah and uh, learning about his faith walk. Of course, he was one of the most famous characters in the Bible, one of the most famous events, not only in the Bible, but in history. Uh, and as I was going through some of the information on Noah this week. I thought uh, the, the chronology of the flood was kind of interesting, and some of you might find that useful, so I put it on the handout there. Uh, you add up all the dates and months and times that Genesis reveals, and Noah was in the ark, he and his family, for one year and 17 days. Uh, that's quite a family vacation, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it must have been an amazing time. Uh, if you refigure it or see somebody else has figured it and get a day or two off, uh, don't come argue with me. That's, uh, that's close enough. Uh, depending on how you read some of it, and it says this, this day of the month and then the waters receded and the waters did this. And it's a little hard to add up exactly perfectly, but uh, this is in the neighborhood. It's within a week or so, so uh, I think once you get past a year in a boat with your family, a few days doesn't matter after that, so he was in there for quite a while. Uh, Tonight I want to talk about after the flood, and I know this isn't, uh, it's part of Noah's faith walk, it's not what he's famous for, and a lot of it doesn't have to do with Noah, but there's so many interesting things that happened right after the flood, Uh, so many things that are a part of our uh, culture today and part of our misunderstanding between a biblical worldview and a a non-biblical worldview that came from this period of time right after the flood. And so I thought it would just be interesting to go through a few of the changes, things that happened, and uh, relate it to today where we can. We've covered some of it in uh, understanding the times and some of our other series, but uh, let's just go through and look at uh, chapters 8 and 9 basically and see some of the things that happened uh, when they did get out of the ark after that year and 17 days. Uh, the first thing that it says happened in chapter 8 and verse 18, it says, So Noah came out. Uh, after all the flood had gone down and the boat had rested and the birds had gone out and everything was all checked out and the gland was dry enough, Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, and then all the animals came out. And then verse 20 says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. So there's one reason that he took more clean animals on the ark than he did unclean animals. Some people don't uh, know that or don't pay attention to it, but he took uh, a pair of unclean animals and seven pair of clean animals, 
And we assume some of it may have been for food and some of it was for sacrifices after. And uh, who knows what else God planned there, but he had some for sacrifice. So uh, the, int- the important part of that is not that he, that he had the animals to do it, but that he reestablished worship by sacrifice. That hadn't happened for a year at least. Uh, it indicates that, yes, that's what God wanted. That was what was pleasing to him. Uh, we don't know exactly between Cain and Abel and Noah what all went on in there and, and what God requested. Uh, Cain and Abel, remember, sacrificed. Uh, Abel did better than Cain. Uh, by faith, he offered the right thing. Uh, we don't really know what they were told to offer, but we know from the beginning, sacrifice had something to do with worshiping God. And so now as soon as they get off the ark, as soon as they're able to build a fire and sacrifice, Noah does that. Um, hadn't happened for a year. It gets reestablished. God was evidently pleased with it. And because of that worship, or because of Noah's faithfulness and the, the whole journey perhaps, uh, verse 22 says that God um, began to make some changes and promises and establish things, and I think some of them are kind of interesting. In verse 22, it says that God established the seasons. Okay. Now, I considered putting reestablished the seasons, but I don't know if he did or not. Uh, this might have been the first seasons. And the reason is that things were so different after the flood. Uh, God promised in verse 22, he said, uh, uh, As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Okay. So he said... Uh, Things are going to function this way. We don't know exactly what it was like before the flood. In fact, we don't know anything about what it was like before the flood, really. Uh, There are a number of scientists that believe that our climate uh, and everything changed completely at the flood. Uh, We did talk a little bit about not having seen rain before and all that. The scripture indicates that it hadn't rained at the time of the flood. That the earth, and back in the garden, it says the earth was watered by water that came up from the ground. Okay? And when the flood started, you remember it wasn't just rain that came down. It was the fountains of the deep opened up. Okay? So God opened up these fountains that had watered the ground. Uh, they erupted. And then he also made it rain, which a lot of scientists believe there was a water canopy over the earth surrounding the earth. And so the atmosphere was completely different than we're used to now. Some scientists blame that on why or use that to explain what happened to the dinosaurs. That the climate and everything changed so radically when God said, okay, uh, I'm opening up the canopy, the rain's going to come down, I'm going to flood things from the bottom. It rearranged everything. Uh, some of the things we're told back before the flood 
Uh, for instance, where the Garden of Eden is. People want to know, well, where was the Garden of Eden? Well, if you read Genesis, it tells you these rivers were there. So all you got to do is find where those rivers come together, and you got the garden. They don't come together. They moved. Things changed. Okay, so we don't know what all happened between before the flood and and after the flood, um, and we can't figure it all out. We just know it was different. And so God, after the flood, says, "Okay, uh, I'm not ever again destroy all living creatures as I have done." From now on, things are going to be steady. As long as the earth endures, you're going to have seed time harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. They're not going to cease. Okay, now he is going to destroy it with fire like we studied this morning. But until he does that, we're not going to have a big flood again. We're not going to have a huge climate change that destroys the earth. I'm sorry, Al, but it ain't going to happen. Okay? Uh, because God promised it wasn't going to happen. When God gets ready to destroy the earth, he'll destroy the earth. But until then, nothing we can do is going to destroy the earth or wipe out mankind or anything else. Okay? So there's one thing that uh, you look at cultural differences today. Uh, a lot of people believe the only way the earth is going to survive is if we do take care of it and do certain things. No, that's not in our power. God's promised it. It's going to be okay until he gets ready to get rid of it. Okay. Then down in uh, 9 and verse 1, Noah and his family are given their marching orders. Here's what you're supposed to do. Now, at 600-some, I don't know how much Noah participated, but the boys and their wives did. Uh, They were supposed to multiply and fill the earth again. Pretty big job. Uh, that was the the eight, the only ones that were left. So so get busy, multi- be fruitful, multiply, increase in numbers, and fill the earth. That was their task. Now, in this, and sometimes we just slip over this and don't pay much attention to it, but what God really did in the next couple of verses, verses 2 and 3, he completely changed... Man's relationship to animals. Okay? And this is, again, a current topic. Uh, some people have ideas about how you're supposed to animals have rights and on and on and all that. No, Genesis 9, verses 2 and 3 say how the world is supposed to work. Now, we don't. once again, we don't know exactly what it was before. We know that it was... Peaceful in some way, because in the garden, it says all the animals walked by Adam, and Adam named them. Okay? So that's, you know, kind of an unusual thing. If you go out in the forest or woods today and stand there, some animals will walk past you, but they won't line up and walk past and wait to be named and all that. They don't cooperate like that. Well, it's because of what happened here. This is where the change came. Uh, And come to think of it, they must have been pretty peaceful and have a good relationship with man. Uh, Those poor rascals were on the ark for over a year, too. 
<laughs> we're all locked up together. But now that we're going to repopulate the earth and the animals are going out to repopulate the earth and all that, God says, here's the way the world's going to work now. It's going to be different. Uh, the fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So evidently, men were vegetarians, basically, before the flood. But now God's changed everything. Okay, he says, animals, they're not your buddy friends like they used to be. Uh, they're going to be afraid of you. Because you're in charge. Now, I know you can find an animal that will, it doesn't run away and all that. But, but in general, animals are afraid of people. Okay. Uh, that's the order of things. And we have dominion over them. He said, uh, they are given into your hands. Yeah, that promise was made to Adam and Eve also. But here it's reinforced and enlarged. And not only can you eat plants, but now you can eat meat. And now we know he made some rules on meat and stuff later. In fact, he made some here about the lifeblood in it and all that. But here's this relationship that changed. Now, some people today completely ignore that and think that man and animals are equal. In fact, some people think animals are a little bit better than man. We're the troublemakers. No, we're supposed to run the place. We have dominion over animals. They're supposed to be afraid of us. We can eat them. We can kill them before we eat them. Okay, That's the order of business. That's where God established it, right here in chapter 9 and verse 2 and 3. Now, Bear in mind, he's laying out some new rules for a new world. Next, he changes, uh, or if he institutes, uh, capital punishment and explains why. Another modern topic. Some people don't understand how a Christian could be in favor of capital punishment. Well, here's why, because that's the order of things. It's what God says. It's how the world is supposed to work now in this post-flood world. Uh, verse 4 ties in with 2 and 3. He says you can eat everything, uh, but you can't eat meat that has lifeblood in it. Then in verse 5, he said, now listen, for your lifeblood, for man's lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. Okay, this is critical. This is important for understanding uh, not just capital punishment, but God's understanding of things. Man's life has a, a great value. It has a value because man is made in the image of God. Life is human. Human life is sacred, and here God is telling Noah, "Okay, now on this new world, here's 
one of the very, very basic is that you can't kill humans. If an animal kills a human, you got to kill that animal. Okay? If your ox goes wild and gores the neighbor, you kill that ox. You know, if your pit bull gets loose and kills your neighbor, you kill that pit bull. You know, man, animals don't kill people. And man doesn't kill people. If a human kills, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Because man is made in the image of God, and somebody that doesn't value man's life enough to preserve it, but instead takes it, has forfeited his right to live among human society. And that's how valuable human life is. Now, uh, we've, we've done this, we've done whole lessons on capital punishment and the value of life and all that. When we don't exercise this, the value of human life goes down. When we say it's okay to kill humans, and you, you don't have to die for it, then the value of life goes down. Okay? So, and we've done... Lots worse than that in this day and age. Uh, we, we celebrate the taking of human life as long as it's uh, less than nine months old. Uh, so there's where capital punishment's established. Now in verse 7, God makes his first covenant with man. And this is really the first covenant. God had... You know, a relationship with Adam and Eve and the others in between, but this is really the first covenant as such. Verse 7, he says, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth, and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Now I now establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Here's the deal. Never again will life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all earth. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures and every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. So not only does God see that and remember, uh, in a sense, we can see it and remember. When we see that rainbow, uh, we know, okay, it's not going to flood and destroy the earth. Okay, so made that covenant. A lot of other covenants to follow, but that was the first one. Uh, now, a dark story in chapter 9 and verse 20. Uh, Noah's drunkenness. Another story that we don't talk about much. I don't think we teach this in Sunday school. Uh, we usually kind of skip over it uh, because it's kind of R-rated. Uh, 
And since most of the kids are gone, we'll go ahead and look at it. I see some teens grabbing their Bibles for the first time tonight. Uh, chapter 9 and verse 20. Uh, <laughs> uh, verse 18 says, The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And uh, they were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Now, Noah became a farmer. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk, and he lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside, But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. And may God extend the territory of Japheth, and may Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. All right. Now, kind of an odd story, and we're not given enough detail to make many judgments. Uh, We can guess about a few things, but we really don't know. Uh, First of all, some folks have suggested maybe Noah didn't get drunk on purpose. Uh, Maybe it was an accident. Because the climate had changed so much. Things had changed that maybe grapes, grape juice, maybe it didn't used to ferment. Who knows? Maybe it was a surprise to him. He planted a vineyard. He harvested the grapes, made some juice, and drank it. He might have thought, man, this stuff's a little tart. Uh, but the next thing he knew, he was drunk. Some have suggested that. I don't know that. can't prove it. Uh, but some people say, well, maybe that's why he did this. Or maybe he just drank too much wine. Uh, the problem didn't seem to be so much the drunkenness, and that's why some people uh, think it was an accident or a new thing that hadn't happened before. Uh, but the nakedness was the problem. And uh, a lot of the old law talks about nakedness and not revealing your nakedness and not seeing uh, your parents' nakedness and all of that. Well, Ham saw something. We don't know what. We don't know if Noah was completely uncovered or if he'd, he'd fallen uh, asleep and his robe was up or, or what. But Ham saw it, and Ham's problem was that instead of covering it up or, or keeping the thing quiet for some reason... Ham seemed to uh, relish in it. He seemed to, as some people have said, he, he uh, was glad to see Noah's weakness. That he didn't respect his father somehow. And so he ran out and told his brothers. Okay? Now his brothers had enough sense. They said, no, that's not right. We're not supposed to be laughing at Dad like that. We're not supposed to be even looking at Dad like that. And they got a garment and put it behind them and walked in backwards and dropped it back over their father. So he'd be covered. They respected him immensely. 
Now, because of that, Ham got cursed. Actually, the children of Ham. Ham's children were the, the people of Canaan. And Noah, when he came awake from all this, he cursed Canaan. He was going to be slave to his brothers. And he said he was going to be the slave of Shem. From Shem came the Semites. That's where Semites come from. If you've heard of being anti-Semitic, the Hebrew race, uh, the children of Ham, the Canaanites, were going to be the slaves of the Semites. Still causing problems today, by the way. But <laughs> that's where it started. Okay. So he blessed Shem, he blessed Japheth, he cursed the children, the, the descendants of Ham. So, like I said, we don't have enough details to know about it. We don't know what Ham's real problem was. We don't know if he just had an evil thought when he saw Noah. Uh, we don't know if he resented Noah's leadership. Um, maybe he rebelled after a year on the ark and was tired of the old man telling him what to do. Uh, and and went and made a deal of it with his brothers. We don't know. But whatever it was, he was wrong. He did, he did the wrong thing. He uh, had the wrong thoughts in some way, and his children, his descendants, got cursed because of it. Okay, a lot of things happened just in one that one chapter, didn't they? A lot of things changed after the flood. God set things on course, said here's the way we're going to run the earth from now on. And things stayed on track for just a little while. Then Tower of Babel, they got off track again. So God had to straighten some things up uh, when he got to the Tower of Babel. I thought about going on to that, but that's quite a bit later. So we'll just stop there with the things that happened after the flood. All right, now just a couple of questions to think about tonight as we wrap up this Noah thing. First of all, sometimes we get to thinking that faith walking is being perfect. Was Noah perfect? No, he wasn't perfect. We're not told he's perfect. Uh, He certainly messed up at least this once here, and I'm sure he did some other times too. We're We're not given, in general, we're given a very positive picture of him. But the point is, faith walking is not about perfection. Uh, Noah's one of the better ones we've seen. He doesn't have hardly any mess-ups that we're told about anyway. Some of the rest of them had a bunch, didn't they? You look at Abraham and some of some of the others that we looked at, even though they were very, very faithful, they still messed up a lot. They did things wrong. So faith walking is not about perfection. I think Noah shows us that along with the others we've looked at. And then the last thing I wanted to think about is what did he do to be counted righteous? Noah was counted righteous. What did he do? Well, the easy answer is to read Hebrews eleven seven, where it says, By faith, when he was warned about something that he couldn't see, he built an ark. And we spent a whole week talking about that. He, he didn't hadn't seen rain. He didn't know this. He built on this crazy boat, all of that. But God warned him. Told him to build a boat. So by faith, he built the ark. Something he hadn't seen, he couldn't prove, didn't know about it. That's the definition of what caused him to be counted as righteous. But we pointed out, and I want to reinforce as we close with him, 
that it's not just big one big thing. It was his life. We may be looking for that one big thing, and God hadn't asked me to build an ark yet. You know, he hadn't asked any of us to do anything that big, but we get asked to do, in one sense, things, little things, every day. Noah was counted righteous before the ark. He stood out in his generation. He was the only righteous one. That means, by faith, he did whatever God asked him to do. It wasn't that big yet. I mean, it was little things, but he always did it. It says about building the ark that he did everything exactly as God commanded him. That's the way he lived his life. It says he walked with God. doesn't mean he was perfect. But it means that was his intent. He wanted to do what God said. And every time God told him, even if he had no proof and had never seen such a thing, he did it. We don't have to build an ark to meet that standard. We walk with God. We we hear what he says. Uh, We hear it in our reading or in sermons or a class or wherever. And we either do it or we don't. We either, by faith, do what he says, or we don't. So uh, that's how he was counted righteous. It was a lifestyle, not just the one big ark thing. Okay, Uh, we aren't asked to build an ark, but the Bible does make a big deal out of comparing the ark to our salvation. You know, we're in the New Testament, and the writers mention that, that, okay, Noah did this by faith, and that's like your salvation. He had to go through water to be saved. Uh, You've got to go through water to be saved. There's a lot of comparisons. That's a whole whole other sermon. Uh, he, he was saved by water, and that corresponds to baptism, which also now saves us. And all that, we can preach that sermon sometime. But it all comes down to the same thing, by faith. By faith, are we going to do what God says or not? If you're here tonight and uh, are not in a saved condition, not sure of your place in that book of life that we talked about this morning, uh, then by faith, you need to do something if you understand that. Uh, We're going to sing a song about the powers in the blood. It's not the water that saves us, it's the blood, but it's the obedience in the water that let God count us righteous and apply that blood that has the power. Let's stand and sing this song. If you need to come, you come.